Welcome to the Off the Post Post Media Hockey Podcast. Uh, I am Paul Chapman, joined by Mike Trakos after a fairly frantic trade deadline. We will be talking in the second period more generally about the trade deadline. Uh, in the third period, we'll look at the wildcard races, talk about uh, a legend getting his jersey retired and some other league-wide issues. But, Mike, I wanted to start off in the first period um, with sort of a mix of both the trade deadline and uh, the fuss around John Tavares going back to uh, the island. Of course, the Islanders have been one of the surprise teams of the year without Tavares doing well. The Leafs had these massive expectations on them. And not, I mean, this game to me is very interesting to see these two teams seemingly on different tracks with completely different expectations going into the season. But let's start with where the Leafs were in the trade deadline. Like, did this team do enough? Um, I know they made their move early, but I was expecting a little bit more from them. Yeah, and you ask if they've done enough, Paul. Well, last night on uh, Wednesday night's game against the Edmonton Oilers, they lose Travis Dermott, who's their third-pairing defenseman, who's been playing really well, a young defenseman. Uh, He's out week-to-week now with a shoulder injury after taking uh, kind of an awkward-looking hit um, a bit from behind. And on the same day, earlier that morning, we find out that Jake Gardner is also out week-to-week with back spasms and quite possibly is going to need surgery to correct uh, something that's been bothering him all year. So they're down two top six defenders. Um, and that's a, that was a need uh, going into this trade deadline. So it's not like we're sitting here as the Monday morning quarterbacks and saying, Oh, in hindsight, I guess they should have got defensemen. Well, in the weeks leading up to that, uh, everyone was saying, yeah, this team desperately needs help on the back end. The defense as it was constructed, wasn't strong enough. So, um, this could be something that, uh, really kind of hampers the team in terms of a getting to this cup final, if that's the goal or B just even getting past the Boston Bruins in the first round. So we'll see what happens. We'll see if either guy gets back in time, but I think even with Gardner and, uh, Dermot healthy, uh, that defense is, could be their, uh, Achilles heel. It reminds me of the year that the Buffalo Sabres made the conference final. And, yeah, and I covered that team all the way to the cup final. <laughs> and But people looked at that team and said, this team has a chance to win, and the injuries on the blue line really were what cost them the end because they got decimated. Now, this is, this, is the, this is not something a GM can legislate against. The NHL season is a grind. You need a lot of luck, especially come playoffs. Um, are you surprised the Leafs weren't a little more aggressive or do you think they were pretty happy after they, they made their early deal? Yeah, that's the thing. If you make the Jake Muzzin trade on the actual trade deadline day, um, then the Leafs are considered maybe one of the winners on uh, deadline day. Everyone's kind of talking about that. Uh, the fact that the deal was made a month earlier, it almost seems like it's forgotten yet. That was a substantial move. But I think, you know what, this was an opportunity that the Leafs had this year where uh, Mitch Marner, Austin Matthews are both on the final year of their entry-level contracts as well. Kasperi Kapanen, who's having a career year, and Andreas Johnson, uh, who's also having a career year, and both guys are on their final year of their entry-level deals. Um, those guys are going to cost a lot next year, and you're not going to have the same roster that you have this year. So there was an opportunity to, quote-unquote, kind of like go for it this year and you know what, load up uh, for maybe once in a lifetime opportunity where you've got a lot of your star players who are making under a million dollars each. So um, that's where I think that the Leafs could have maybe uh, afforded to gamble a bit more. Um, you see what Vegas did where they gave up a first round uh, prospect um, to Ottawa and, and Eric Brandstrom in, in terms of just getting Mark Stone. 
uh, that's a team that saw a window of opportunity and said, you know what, let's, let's go for it this year. And I think Nashville did the same. Uh, Columbus obviously went all in and the Leafs sort of just hung around. And um, aside from the Jake Muzzin trade, I don't think they did quite enough to kind of hang the, with the, you know, the top five contenders when you're kind of going through who might actually win a championship this year. So I think it was an opportunity lost and we'll see what actually happens in the playoffs. But uh, right now, I don't think I have Toronto in my top five. So, you know, obviously we want these podcasts as we do them once a week to have some longevity and people listen to them after the Leafs have played the Islanders. But I do think this whole storyline with John Tavares going back to Long Island and some seemingly uh, I don't know if it's surprising that there's negative fan reaction. It's just that we don't see superstars in the prime of their career, especially guys who had a high draft pick invested in them. We don't see them move on very often. Um, I can understand why fans are mad, but we do see in other sports, we see free prime free agents move a little more loosely than in hockey. How, how has this frame for the Leafs? I mean, it, Tavares, I think, has been... Uh, what most people expected that he'd be in Toronto. He's certainly one of the guys who's given them that hope that they can make some waves in the playoffs. Um, how, how has this played out for you? How is he feeling? What's he going to be like going back in there? I mean, I remember going way back to the seventies. I remember a great playoff series between the Leafs and the Islanders. I would love to see those teams eventually meet in the playoffs just because of this acrimony. Yeah. You know, it's never easy when a star player leaves a team. And I think, you know, like I'll just draw the comparison, Paul, uh, between John Tavares and Artemi Panarin. And, you know, Panarin's going to be leaving the Columbus Blue Jackets and it's going to hurt uh, the Blue Jackets uh, almost as much as Tavares leaving. The only difference is uh, Panarin's been up front really since the beginning of the year that he's not re-signing. And he basically, in uncertain terms, said, you know what, I'm not going to be here after July 1. Trade me at the deadline if you have to. Move me to a uh, team, get some picks, what have you. Tavares never did that. Um, all along, he said that he was happy to kind of make it work in Long Island, uh, that he wanted to be part of the solution and not go away. And, you know, th- that team entered the trade deadline and Tavares was still committed to making it work in Long Island. And it wasn't really up until the eve of J- uh, July 1st where he finally made that decision and said, okay, well, I'm leaving uh, the Islanders. I'm going to go to Toronto. And I think that's where, if you're an Islanders fan, it, it really does hurt. And I think that's where there's uh, a ton of acrimony towards Tavares today is that, you know, ha- had he let him know uh, of his intentions that he wasn't going to re-sign as a free agent, you know, they could have gotten easily a first round pick and, you know, quite possibly maybe two first round picks and a prospect and even more. Like that's how valuable John Tavares would have been at that trade deadline a year ago. So I, I think that's where um, a, a lot of the hurt feelings are um, when you're talking about John Tavares, but yeah, I'm with you. It's kind of, it's interesting. Like he goes to Toronto and Toronto's obviously having a great season and Tavares is, I think two goals away from matching his career high in goals. But at the same time, the Islanders have a better record than the, um, than any other team in the Metro division. And at one point had more wins and more points than the Leafs. And that's with a no name roster um, constructed basically uh, as a defensive unit. So um, it is kind of funny. And, you know, I'm looking forward to tonight's matchup. And we're talking about Thursday night's matchup here. Um, I know he's going to get booed. I know there's going to be a lot of hurt feelings. But uh, at the same time, yeah, I'm with you. If these two teams can meet in the playoffs, uh, it would be amazing. 
I, I know it was a funny story that, you know, Tavares, the Islanders fans have latched onto that, you know, he referenced wearing his, his Toronto Maple Leafs pajamas when he was a kid. I, I actually like that sentimentality going, you know, we see players kind of have this mercenary view about them, but actually attaching some sentimentality and saying, you know, that was my team when I was a kid. It means a lot for me to play for them. But at the same time, of that mercenary aspect, we see this in the NBA a lot more where, you know, for better or for worse, you'll see a superstar say, I want to play with that guy. And granted, two or three superstars in the NBA make a massive difference compared to hockey, where you need all the other pieces around there. But I can see with both the sentimental reason and also playing with a guy like Austin Matthews, what that pull was for Tavares. And I know I've asked you about this before. I I can't help but wonder when these trails are blazed that you see a superstar move in the prime of his career, when Connor McDavid is going to say enough is enough in Edmonton. Now, I've asked you about McDavid before. Everyone seems to say this is not in his nature. He's still a young guy. He still probably has a lot of loyalty to that organization. But do you think we will start to see more player movement of of big name players in their prime to say, no, you know what? I don't want to waste my my whole career, my prime years on a perpetually rebuilding team. I want to go and play with some other good players and compete for championships. Yeah, I think so. And, you know, it only takes one guy to kind of buck the trend. And, you know, I talked to a lot of guys in the summer about what Tavares did, and they said it was eye-opening to them um, because it just doesn't happen in hockey for multiple reasons. Like you mentioned, like it's not the NBA where one player can kind of shift the uh, dynamics of a team. Uh, and, you know, what I think in hockey is just there's that team mentality. Um, I, we just don't see it in other sports, whether it's baseball or basketball, where uh, it just feels like you, you want to be – loyal to the team that drafted you and developed you and that you, you kind of go to war with these guys on a day-to-day basis and you don't want to turn your back on that. But now that Tavares has done it, <laughs> I think all bets are off. Like you look at, I'm just looking at, at next year's or sorry, this summer's crop of free agents. And there's some pretty big names there. Like Eric Carlson, he, he might be a free agent, Mark Stone. Uh, I guess he's re-signing in Vegas. So he's off the list, but Matt Duchesne, maybe Joe Pavelski, Artemi Panarin, who we talked about, um, you could have Varlamov and Bobrovsky as goalies. Like there is a who's who of names that are going to be available uh, this summer, and don't be surprised if the following summer there's twice as many names, and it just keeps going that way. Because, like you said, um, if a team is not building around that star player, well, the star player is going to go somewhere else where he can win. And I think that's the one narrative that kind of gets forgotten when we're talking about John Tavares. It wasn't so much that he wanted to go play in his hometown, the team that he had kind of um, grown up watching and like worn jammies of and uh, had the Toronto Maple Leaf bed sheets. I, I think it was a matter of, you know what, I want to go play where they've got Austin Matthews, they've got Mitch Marner, they've got a GM who's constructed a team that looks like the window of opportunity is going to be five, ten years. And I think that was more enticing than anything. And had he had that in Long Island, um, had the future looked as bright and as solid. Now you got to remember this guy had been, I think he was on his third or fourth coach at the time. Um, had that been the case in Long Island, I don't think he goes to Toronto, regardless of the pull of being in your hometown. So, you know what? With players having to peak earlier and having to earn their dollars earlier, uh, I think there's more of a need to kind of win now and that sort of mentality. So, yeah, as for Connor McDavid, I can't answer for him specifically, but it doesn't surprise me if, someone of his stature, whether it's a Jack Eichel or whoever, um, entertains the same sort of line of thinking when they become UFAs. 
Well, I I think it's great. We'll we'll kind of wrap up the the first period here, and you know. I know this is a national podcast. I do find the Leafs to be fascinating in so many areas, love them or hate them. I think you can always watch the Leafs and, and be interested by them. But as we're talking about player movement, I think that this the, the great thing about this is if you do see a guy like McDavid or Eichel or players like that say, hey, you know, this is an option for me. I'm not going to resign and I want to go for an organization that's serious about winning. I think the great thing about that is it puts owners on notice and it says, no, you have to run a proper ship here. Um, and you can't just use it as a cash cow or not put the investment in or just kind of be happy with your investments because you're going to lose your good players and your chance at winning and selling out buildings if you don't do it. And I'll add one more thing, Paul. Look at the contract that Austin Matthews signed uh, earlier this month. It yep. wasn't an eight-year deal. It wasn't a seven- or a six-year deal. It was for five years. You know what? If this team is not competitive uh, when that contract expires five years from now, Austin Matthews could not be or could be walking away from Toronto as well. And word is that Mitch Marner is looking at a similar five-year deal. So that trend of locking up your superstar for eight years and you're going to have them, good, bad, or ugly, that's changing. Um, it's a five-year window, really, that you've got your guy. And if you're not, uh, if you don't have your ducks all lined up in a row after five years, well, you're going to kiss them a goodbye. Yeah, that's a great point. All right, we'll end the first period there. We'll be right back in the second period to talk other trades around the league and maybe who helped themselves the most. How's it going? I'm Dave Breckenridge. I'm the host of 10.3, Post Media's Canadian News Podcast. In every episode, we take a deeper look at major stories happening in Canada, talking with journalists who are on the ground from newsrooms across the country. So once Off the Post has you up to date with the latest in the hockey world, be sure to subscribe. You can find us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your audio. That's 10.3, Canada's News Covered. Welcome back to the second period. This is the Post Media Off the Post podcast. Uh, Mike, we talked about the Leafs, but um, I don't know. It wasn't it wasn't an underwhelming trade deadline day, but it certainly wasn't the most active that we've seen. Uh, some surprising moves uh, on, at both ends of the standings. Who do you think helped themselves the most uh, heading into this stretch drive here? I think for me, Paul, it's all the Western Conference teams. Like whether it was Nashville, Winnipeg, or obviously Vegas, getting Mark Stone. Uh, those three teams were the definite winners. Um, at the same time, I think Ottawa, um, in a weird way, was the winner. Um, they had the most to lose, obviously, because they were trading three of their guys and they had to get top dollar for them. And I think they came out great. Um, you know, they have a lot of work to do with their scouting staff. They have got to turn these picks and prospects into real stars. And then, you know what, <laughs> the caveat is they have to keep them around in Ottawa. But I, I think they've got a lot to work with. But if I'm going to say who's better far better today than they were sort of yesterday. Well, I'm looking at Vegas, who's, you know, third place in the Pacific division. But after adding Mark Stone to a second line, that's now including Matt Pacioretty and uh, Paul Stastny. That's, that's one of the better second lines in the NHL. And if Mark Fleury, uh, Andre Fleury can play the way he was last year. Um, that's There's no reason why this team can't get to the Stanley Cup final again. Um, you may. Um, it's interesting to look at the two conferences because – I think you do look at the East and look at some beastly teams there, but we're, we are seeing a bit of a change here. Certainly Vegas getting back into the conversation helps. St. Louis just isn't slowing down. Um, Winnipeg and Nashville, and I keep forgetting Calgary, <laughs> keep expecting them to slide back down, and the Sharks. So, um, man, I would say if you look at the East and West, it's the trade deadline almost balanced the scales a little bit where you would hope to have like a marquee final once we see which two teams can climb those mountains. but 
I'm looking at a solid four or five teams in each conference who have a really good shot to get out. Yeah, you know what? Like, no one got better than Tampa. Let's face it. Like, I don't know if you feel the same yeah. way, but like whatever Vegas did or whatever Nashville did, and then adding Mark, uh, Michael Granlund and Steve Sim- or Steve Simmons, uh, Wayne Simmons. Um, the Predators or the Golden Knights. Steve Simmons would have been quite the bull trade <laughs> deadline. You know, he, I must say. he is a grinder. <laughs> but none of those teams can match <laughs> what the Lightning have. And, you know, it's no surprise that Tampa Bay didn't add a single player. And, you know what, St. Louis didn't add a player either. And Calgary really just kind of made a fringe move. Like, why would you mess with those lineups with the way they're going? Like, those are three of the hottest teams in the NHL. And they're basically saying, okay, whatever we have right now, we're going to go with. And I can't blame them. Um, at the same time, I don't know about you, but I was real shocked that Columbus not only, you know, kept their guys in Panarin and Bobrovsky, but doubled down in getting Duchesne, Dezingle, um, as well as Adam McQuaid. And, uh, I can't remember which goalie they got, uh, um, I guess New, oh, New Jersey's Keith Kincaid. Like they went crazy. Yeah. <laughs> That's a team that I'm looking at the standings right in front of me. They're sitting outside of a playoff spot right now. So. Uh, that was a bit mind-boggling, but you know, at the end of the day, um, you know, I, I think it's still Tampa Bay's uh, cup to lose. Um, the way this team is playing right now, they've won ten straight games. I don't think they've suffered a regulation loss um, in more than a month. Um, and you know what? And they can afford to have a couple injuries. That they are just so stacked right now. Um, and I almost get the feeling that some of the moves that the Western Conference teams made, while it, it was to get obviously to the cup final, but I also think that they made them knowing that Tampa Bay could very well be waiting there for them. And they've got to match firepower versus firepower. Yeah. 49, 11 and four is their record. Like we actually put it in those terms. It's, it's stunning what the lightning are doing. And, and um, someone said they're on pace to have as many points as like some of those dynasty teams in Montreal, which is just, yeah, that's crazy. Like those are teams where the worst players, a hall of famer. Absolutely. I, I do look at that, and I think you're 100% right. I look, I I know it's a every market now, especially the American markets, have their own vagaries where you could sort of say, well, you know, the GM's under pressure, the ownership, they want to show the fans they're committed, they really want to go for it. But if you don't believe that you made yourself like a, a top Stanley Cup contender, what are you left with? And that would be my fear for Columbus. If they do end up missing out, uh, you know, what is left for you when all those players leave? Like you've, you've given up futures and other prospects to bring these pieces in and then you lose them for nothing. And then what do you have? I would be the other way around. I think draft picks are absolute gold in the NHL these days. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, I would have sold off my assets to someone else and say, no, we're going to take a serious run at this in two, three years. But I mean, fingers crossed, I hope it works out for them, but I just don't see how it can. I really don't. Um, And when's the last top free agent signed in Columbus too? Like if you don't, uh, people, I know. I heard analysts talking about. Well, you know what? They're going to lose Panarin. They're going to lose Bobrovsky. But the cap space is king today. I'm like, who is clamoring to go play in Ohio? Like, has there ever been a top flight free agent that said, you know what? Forget about sunny Florida or California, or forget about an original six team. I want to play for the Blue Jackets. Like, it doesn't happen. Their best players are guys who they drafted or developed or they traded for, and. You know, cap space, whatever. Like, it's going to be paramount on them to now re-sign Dezingle and Duchesne and try to make up for this because you know, even if they make the playoffs and they claw in, they're going to have to go against the Tampa Bay Lightning if they get that final wildcard spot. So that's a four-game sweep waiting to happen. Yeah, it'll touch briefly on Vancouver. Um, I mean, 
we do our local podcast here. So, you know, I'm not going to ask you about, you know, getting rid of a, a, a high minor league prospect like Jonathan Dolan, but the Erica Branson deal did intrigue me a little bit going to the Penguins in that, um, you know, I, I find the NHL is so funny in that if a guy is drafted in the top five, that reputation can carry you a long way, even when you're played clearly demonstrates that you were drafted far too high. You know, Goodbranson, a guy who seems to be struggling with the speed of the NHL these days, by all accounts, he's a great teammate, good in the room. The one thing he still has left is that he's big, but he hasn't been a particularly physical player. You know, he's fought when there's been pressure. He throws, he does throw some hits. He doesn't clear the net like you would see from a, a Chara, even though he is this physically big, big presence on the ice he doesn't seem to wield it as much as he maybe could but it was a sign from Pittsburgh that you know they're worried about being pushed around you and I had talked earlier in the year about players like you know I know these are more forwards like Wilson and Reeves and guys who are heavy but aren't a liability when they're on the ice um were you surprised to see what the Penguins did at all yeah and they always surprise me with some of the guys they they seem to get and <laughs> It's even more surprising when they get a Ron Hainsey and you're laughing at it and going, yeah, well, he can't skate anymore. And then by the end of the playoffs, you're going, yeah, Ron Hainsey was their best defenseman and is the reason they won the cup or Justin Schultz or, you know, and they, they grabbed Jack Johnson, who was another guy that you mentioned, like a, a top pick that um, is definitely fallen out of favor with this current club and goes to Pittsburgh. And I don't know, they just seem to be the city of reclamation projects. So I wonder, you know, the Tanner Pearson deal didn't work out for them. Um, I don't know if uh, the head coach had any, um, it didn't seem like he'd fit into the kind of coaching scheme they had. So, you know, it's one underperforming player for another one. And maybe, you know, Gabranson, who's bounced around now from Florida um, to Vancouver, um, now to Pittsburgh, maybe they can catch lightning in a bottle again with this guy and figure out how to play him in a spot where, you know, Sidney Crosby and Latang and Malkin can make you look pretty good uh, over there. So we'll see. But yeah, it was a kind of a, it was a surprise move. Let's put it that way. I, I think Vancouver definitely got the better player in the deal. And I could see Tanner Pearson having a better, um, making this deal uh, swing in Vancouver's favor far more than I could see it the other way around. It, this deal reminds me a little bit of uh, maybe this is going to be a cheap shot, but oh well. <laughs> I, it, it reminds me when I was covering the C. Well, it reminds me when I was covering the CFL back a couple of decades ago when the league was on really shaky financial ground, and I was covering a, a CFL draft, and it was the fifth round, and the assistant head coach comes bursting into the media room and starts throwing sheets of paper at us. And just says, can you guys go through this list? If you find anyone over 6'4 and over 230 pounds, <laughs> let us know. We're going to pick them. Come on now, really. <laughs> I sort of thought, well, first of all, that's not my job. But I think your scouting, I think your scouting of a player should go a little deeper than height and weight. But that's where we are. I'm not suggesting that's the, the, what they did with Cabranson. But I do think that size can still carry you a long way in the NHL. Um, all right, we'll leave the second period there and we'll come back and we'll talk a little bit about the wild card races and about some of the other uh, things that you've been seeing around the NHL these, this last week. Would you give Brock Besser a long-term contract? Can Elias Pettersson's body stand up to the rigors of a full NHL season? Is Jacob Markstrom really the guy who can take the Canucks to the next level or do they need to seriously look at their prospects and goal? All these questions and many more just like them are answered twice a week in our White Towel podcast. 
If you want to hear the stories that our writers, Ed Willis, Ben Kuzma, Patrick Johnson, and yes, even Harrison Mooney, garner each week on the Canuck Beat to find out what you need to know to be the most knowledgeable fan in your group, then you should download the White Towel Podcast. Download them, subscribe to them on Apple Podcasts, give us a good rating if you like them. But if you want to be one of the Canucks' most knowledgeable fans, you'll want to download these podcasts every week and find out what our experts have to say. Welcome back to the third period for the Off the Post podcast. Um, Mike, I wanted to ask you about the wildcard races. You just talked about Columbus making these moves. They're out of a playoff spot, but there's no doubt they've put they've pushed all their chips to the middle. There's Pittsburgh and Montreal sit there in those last spots. Who do you think is going to lose out in the East? Ooh, this is going to be a tough one. Like the West one, no one wants to win, but it seems like these ones, this one's actually uh, it's a legitimate race. I don't know. I, I'm going to say Columbus doesn't make it. And maybe that's me just wanting to write the story about how they totally uh, blew it at the trade deadline. But I'm not going to bet against Sydney, and I'm not going to bet against uh, Carey Price in Montreal. So that really just leaves uh, uh, Columbus as to not making it. I, I, I think Carolina is just so hot right now. Like, um, yeah. whatever's, whatever they got going there, there's another team that didn't make a deal, hung on to Michael Furland. But you know, like, it seems like they've got that us versus them mentality that Vegas really kind of pioneered last year. Obviously, they got those bunch of jerks t-shirts riffing on the whole uh, Don Cherry um, doesn't like our celebrating at the end of the games. And uh, I really think there's a buy-in. Um, this is one. This is the same thing as like the Golden Knights had with the Golden Misfits uh, moniker a year ago where uh, it just seems like they can't do any wrong. So, yeah, I, I, I can't. I don't know. I I find it really hard to kind of pick a team that's not going to make it. But if I had to pick one, I'm going to say Columbus right now. You know, there's a bit of a gap there between them and and the uh, the teams below them as well. I mean, Philadelphia had gone on that great run after having such a horrid start, but they seem to have come back down to earth a little bit. And you know, you talked about Eichel. Buffalo's an interesting team is that they had all these expectations on them at the start of the year that they were going to be one of those teams to make a leap, and they've really kind of had an up and down year, but falling farther away now and. I think they've only got three wins in their last 10 games. That's a franchise to me that I, I wonder what they're going to do. Is there like w- fairly new owners? Like, are they going to get blown up there or is there more patience that, you know what, we've got a bunch of young players. I, I would just fear that they're going to fall into that Colorado category where they're forever on the fringe of the playoffs and, and tomorrow never comes. Yeah. You make a good point. And you know, they make a decent trade. I thought getting Brandon Montour, a uh, young defenseman from Anaheim who the Leafs had been sniffing around uh, for a couple of years. But uh, I'm with you. I, they need to make that giant step forward. And I thought it was coming this year. Uh, there was a point where they were second-best team in the comp, in the division. And from then, uh, they just went on a crazy losing streak and haven't been able to kind of right the ship. Part of the problem is goaltending. Part of the other problem is that aside from Jack Eichel and maybe Jeff Skinner, there's just not enough guys up front that are getting the, the job done. Uh, Casey Middlestad, who they drafted a couple of years ago, hasn't looked like a regular NHLer. Um, the kid they got last season, uh, number one overall, Rasmus Dahlin, he's had a good season, but it's been a bit up and down, which kind of expected out of a teenage defenseman. But 
Um, yeah, I wonder how far well, I know that the patience amongst Buffalo fans isn't that high uh, because I follow Mike Harrington out of the Buffalo News on Twitter and he retweets all the angst that he's getting from readers. And it's, it, it is a bit crazy. Um, we, we kind of talk about how much of a travesty it is that McDavid hasn't been in the playoffs. Well, this will be a second straight year. Well, Jack Eichel hasn't even had a sniff of the playoffs. Like he, he finished dead last um, last season. The year before, it was second last. Uh, the year before that, it was third last in the conference. So uh, this is a guy that needs to get into the playoffs, needs to show that he is one of the premier players in the league. Um, at the same time, aside from you know maybe swinging a deal that could blow up in your face, I think the thing that they need the most is just to let a lot of their young guys to continue growing and developing. So now if we swing over to the West where you're right, it's like no one wants to win it, but maybe a team that does won four in a row now sits, um, you know, as we record this, they're three points out of the playoffs, the Arizona Coyotes of all teams. <sighs> the team that has no um, one healthy. <laughs> do you think this? No, I know. But uh, I mean, this is, I guess this is the state you're in in the West, you know, the Canucks with their injury issues have kind of fallen out of the mix too. But, you know, you got Colorado and Minnesota sitting in those last two wild spots there. St. Louis have, absolutely vaulted themselves i think to safety um chicago had made that great run they're still in it but they've dropped back a little bit and i think they're really relying on the on uh on patrick kane to do all their scoring for them but when i look at the west what do you see unfolding there like do you see an outsider like arizona actually continuing that run and getting in or do you think we're pretty safe to say that it is going to be a Colorado and Minnesota in there. Yeah, I think Colorado gets in there. Um, I like them getting Derek Broussard. I think now they finally have a little bit more depth where they can split up that big three of um, McKinnon, Rantanen, and Landeskog, whereas before uh, you split them up and basically you got them all on an island unto themselves. Um, the team I'm really kind of curious about which way their season is going to go from here on in is Minnesota. And... Yeah, they've got a four-game winning streak as well, but they just traded Granlin. They traded Charlie Coyle. That doesn't leave them a whole lot of options up front. And, you know, I, I almost think that they're going to be the team that kind of falls out. The only question is, is it Dallas? Is it Arizona? Is it Chicago? Or it could even be Vancouver that replaces them. If I'm going to bet on one of those teams, I'm going to say Dallas, just because you know they've got the star power up front, and it's just a matter of, can they all get it clicking at the same time? And um, uh, I'll say the Stars get in there um, as the final wildcard team just based on what I'm looking at right now. You know, I think the maybe it's the old romantic in me, but, uh, you know, to me, unless the Blackhawks can spark again and get in there and rely on that experience, I just see whoever's in the wildcard spots in the West being cannon fodder. I look me at too. that top six. And I think, yeah, I think, you know, those bottom teams are like sweep material, whoever gets in, because as you said, it doesn't look like anyone wants yeah, it. Yeah, I'm with you, Paul. Like, how would you like to be Colorado and going up against either Nashville or Calgary or if, yeah. I guess St. Louis kind of vaults ahead or Winnipeg? Like, either one of those teams is just going to destroy them. Um, I, I don't see it at all being a case of like LA sneaks in as the eighth seed or Philadelphia does the same thing and they go on this run. Like, at least those teams. Yeah were constructed well and they just kind of made a late push. There's no push happening. It's just a matter of like we always keep saying who wants it the least. And um, so it will be interesting to see like if, if one of those teams can surprise, but I don't see it happening. Um, the only team I could see doing that just because of the experience is Chicago because they've been there, they've done it. Yeah. And now they got Corey Crawford back, but it doesn't look like they're going to get in there. Uh, it feels like that five point gap, might be a bit insurmountable um, based on how many teams they also have to leapfrog. 
So um, I know you wrote about Jerome McGinley this week. Before I ask you about him, I did, you know, obviously a great superstar. One of the things in the second half of the season, we talked way back about, you know, at the midway point, like who was leading for the trophies. Who are your contenders for the Hart Trophy this year? Ooh, that's a good one. It seems to be like kind of all over the place. Yeah, you know what? How could you vote against Nikita Kucherov based on the fact that like, the guy had 100 points like a couple weeks ago? <laughs> it's 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 insane. Like I know he plays on a stacked team, but he's partially like a big part of the reason why they're stacked. Um, aside from that, like really, my next two guys would have been probably like Patrick Kane, and you know I haven't done it recently. Like I looked at, I think the last time I had looked at who my favorites were going to be, I think it was Connor McDavid. But you know it'd probably be Kucherov, then maybe Goudreau, um, and then maybe Kane um, in that order. And I and still I don't feel totally comfortable about that. It's kind of a weird one, but Kucherov definitely would be my number one pick right now. That's why I asked you. Is it just seems to be that kind of a year? Um, maybe it's because Tampa are on such a plane by themselves yeah. that you sort of they're they're piled away in the corner. But we're just so up and down with everything in terms of teams that are really grabbing the mantle or players that are doing that. Well, one player that had, did grab the mantle over his career is Jerome McGinley. Um, obviously a Flames legend, and there was all, I remember a lot, I was kind of tying this all together. We talk about a trade deadline. We talk about stars leaving cities. That saga seemed to go on for four or five years where it was like, look, Calgary's going nowhere. Um, will Jerome agree to move on and bring some pieces back that help build uh, the Flames? But there's no doubt that however, regardless of what he's done elsewhere, when I think of Jerome McGinley, there are two things I think of. One is obviously being such an iconic Calgary Flames player, but also what he did for Team Canada during the Olympics. Um, pretty special player and absolutely deserving of getting his jersey retired. Oh, yeah. And they don't make him like Jerome anymore. Like, I was writing the story today based on you know, the type of player he is who kind of blended that physicality with skill and speed and that shot, obviously, uh, such a tremendous wrist shot from the wing. You don't see it anymore. Like, you might see a Tom Wilson or a Milan Lucic who can play a heavy game who can drop the gloves, but they're not going to score 50 goals. They're not going to win an Art Ross trophy. And the more incredible thing, and I was talking to like Wendell Clark about this, about what stands out with Jerome, and it was his endurance. Like The guy played 20 seasons. And to play 20 seasons and to play that big bruising style where, you know, even as a 39-year-old, he fought Tom Wilson and he fought four times that year. It's really remarkable. And I was going through this, and, you know, over that 14-year or sorry, that 20-year uh, season, um, 16 of which were played in Calgary, again, only missed 52 games. Like, consider that, like 52 absences, that's it. And 11 of those years, he didn't even miss a single game. And that included back-to-back seasons when he was 37 and 38, where he played all 82 games. So that's the thing that really stands out. Like This guy must have been made of granite to be launching himself like a wrecking ball at opponent after opponent, fighting, and also playing like 20 plus minutes a night and scoring big time goals and doing it every night. Like there's something to be said for his endurance and his longevity as much as it is, it is his kind of hall worthy uh, offensive production. I, the point that really sticks out for me, as you, you mentioned is, is the way he played. I mean, you see some guys will be whether they have bad luck with injuries in their career, but more, more often than not, you see some guys that, you know, can't stay healthy because of the way they play. And I mean, aside from aside from not missing, you know, 10 games a year with a broken hand from mixing it mm-hmm. up, uh, you know, his 
when you look at the sort of the willingness to play through injuries and play when he's hurt, that really typifies a Ginla for me. Absolute icon. Yeah, and like I said, like I don't know if we're ever going to see a player like that. Like it seems like everyone's looking for the next Tom Wilson or the next Milan Lucic, but they're so hard to find. And I, even in Jerome's time, I guess he was still a bit of a unicorn in the NHL in the sense that you know we had our Cam Neelys, we had the Wendell Clarks, we had guys who uh, like a Todd Bertuzzi who kind of blended the that physicality with the skill, but not to the level of Aginla where every year he was leading the team in points. Like I said, he won the Art Ross Trophy, twice won the Rocket Richard, and that's while also you know, fighting half a dozen times in the, in those uh, in those seasons as well. So, um, you know, I I would love to see, I would love to see another player like him. I'd love to see Tom Wilson kind of develop more of an offensive bent because you know, like whether Oginla was scoring a goal or uh, went pointless, he was noticeable in that game, and I think that's the thing that kind of gone is missing sometimes where you watch a game and it's a three, two game and you, you don't see any hits anymore. You don't see any fights. Whereas you watch a flames game and you knew you're going to watch something from Oginla, whether it was goal assist fight, a big hit, he, he was going to be noticeable in that game. And I think that's one of those things that um, totally is missing from the game these days. Yeah. You probably something I'll, I'll talk to you about doing in a future podcast is um, Canadian icons for each franchise, because it just struck me the other day, I was thinking about it. Um, Obviously, when I I mentioned Aginla and the Olympics and those gold medals, and man, I hope we, again, topic for another day, I hope the NHL gets back to the Olympics. But when you look at the Canadian franchises, and obviously like the Montreal Canadiens stacked with so many of their great French-Canadian players, um, you know, the Leafs have a long-storied Canadian history. Even even since they, they haven't won a cup, you had guys like Sittler, you had guys like Gilmore that were center stage for them. Um, Winnipeg previous iteration had a guy like Howard Chuck, you know, Calgary obviously had Gilmore again, and then we don't even have to go down the list of Edmonton. There's something weird about Vancouver, Roberto Luongo and Trevor Linden is as good as it gets the rest of their franchise. Now you've got Pedersen and Besser, who's American. You had uh, the Sedins, you had Nasland, uh, you had Bure. It's like, there's something about the Canucks. They've never really had that Canadian superstar, which you can see that exists in every market. That is, I know that's just an anomaly, but it just kind of struck me as. Yeah, that that is kind of a, a strange one, and I guess the Leafs, for you know, if a, a, I guess guys of my vintage who are like thirty plus in their forties, um, it would be Sundin for them. Uh, it wouldn't even be like the Sittlers or the Clarks yeah. uh, in a lot of cases. So. Um, it is strange, kind of what you kind of grow up with, but yeah, you're right. Um, I never gave that much uh, thought to that, and now I guess for young kids like my own son, he's looking up to a guy like Austin Matthews or a William Nylander, and um, yeah. we'll see what Mitch Marner can do. But <laughs> he could, his favorite players yeah. might end up being well, American or uh, Swede <laughs> or Tavares. Yeah, I guess so. Well, yeah, I mean, there's I mean, that's that's the great thing about the global game. Even a guy like Goudreau, you know, I talked to the Americans that. Still some so many great Russian players, and I think this is great. In Winnipeg, you've got Line A, amongst others. Um, but I find that the one thing with Toronto, and again, tie it back into what we're talking about with Tavares, you know, there was such this dance with Stamkos as well. Like, Ontario produces so many great players who grew up as Leaf fans. Um, you know, you're going to get – I mean, Ottawa, again, is another franchise they had. You know, they've had some good Canadian players, but if it's, it's Alfredson and Carlson who were, like, maybe at the top of those. I just find it interesting is these – 
you know, you want these Canadian icons. The Leafs are always going to have so many players who grow up as Leafs fans. And, and as we've seen now, they're, they're all going to want to come home, right? Apparently. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. We'll see. <laughs> and well, if they go out in the first round of the playoffs, maybe none of them want to be here. <laughs> it's going to get quite ugly. <laughs> yeah, a lot of pressure on there as well. All right, uh, Mike, we'll leave it there. Please continue to listen to us. Uh, download and subscribe through Apple Podcasts and give us a rating. Let us know what you think. Um, you can check out all Mike's writing uh if you look at nationalpost.com, uh, torontosun.com, any of our uh, Post Media products carry Mike's stuff every week around the NHL. So thanks for listening, everyone. We'll talk to you next week. Mm-hmm.